Good evening. This is the inaugural, perhaps trial episode of Here and Now. I'm Mark. And I'm Dave. And we are going to get into some of our favourite music, how it's influenced us and what we love about it. Tonight, we are going to be talking about what album, Dave? Oh, the inaugural episode needs to start with a big album. So we've chosen arguably one of the most significant albums of the late 90s, Still Life by Opeth. Yeah, we're going into our met love of joint love of metal, our joint love of Opeth, and one of the albums that just typifies how uh, Opeth is a band that that challenged the world around it in music and just writes songs that we absolutely dig and love. Um, and just a, an album that you can play now and it still sounds like something unique and fresh that, yeah, you just no one else could make it. It's crazy, right? 1999 yeah. was the album's release. So 21 years ago, this album came out, which is an awfully long time when you think about it. And I'm, for, for Mark and I, Opeth is a band that we've seen both together a, a number of times, but also since then. Uh, I've, I saw them before. Once, and Mark's seen them a few times since. A, a wonderful band for us. Wonderful performance. And each time, they are, we're always blown away by the musicianship of these guys. And, and this album was one that uh, I think Mark and I bonded over early because of its incredible uh, dynamics of sound. And it's, it's beautiful blend. I think we'll, we'll go into that. But being the fourth album, um, it was actually, I think the fir- it was the first album that I had heard by them. Where, where in their discography is this for you? Yeah, so I think it was Dave uh, who introduced me, Dave here that introduced me to Opeth. And uh, I hadn't really ever been into uh, metal that had kind of the growling uh, death metal vocals before. And he said, look, check this out because it's got some, uh, it's got some acoustic guitars, it's got some melody, uh, it changes up a lot. And yeah, it was definitely like nothing I'd ever heard. But the first uh, Opeth album I heard was... was uh, Oh, actually, looking back, I'm, I'm certain it was Blackwater Park. Ah. And then I think this came directly afterwards. Well, that's that, and so was that, was that just, I know this is probably a tricky question, but Blackwater, the, the breakthrough album for them, going back to this, did you find that this felt a bit more infant or did it sound quite different for you? Well, that's a really, it's a really good question. I think that, that, that you know, hearing Blackwater Park, which has a few more of those more like poppy melodies running through it, it's a little bit the the songs are a bit more in your face. You don't have to wait quite as long to get to the to the juice of the album or to the, uh, the juice of the songs. Um, but I think when I first then went back and heard Still Life, I thought this is even though it's it's a preceding album, it is uh, thoughtful and measured and intimate in a way that um, that I think some of the later uh, Opeth albums uh, never quite recovered though. Many of them I love for their own their own reasons. And that's a really interesting point. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about this last couple of weeks listening to this album is I think from here in, Still Life appears in small amounts in every album after this. Um, this, to me, uh, was the album where they really found a sound that is so uniquely theirs. And um, it's interesting you say that because Blackwater is probably a bit... Um, no, it's not catchier but it's probably a little bit, it's quite clear in the, and you have the, the heavier songs and then the, the quieter songs quite separate, whereas in here, like we're hearing in the background here with the more, you've got such a, you know, such a, 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 uh, a spacey, open sound and then it um, very, and unashamedly uh, acoustic at times as well. And I think that 
um, this album really blended that perfectly well in songs, which is why each song goes for 10 minutes. But there's, uh, there's no yeah. um, shortage of change in each of the songs. Um, and I think, l- I was thinking again this week about the climate of 1999. What do you think you were listening to in 1999? Ooh, that's a good question. I think... I mean, I was a young, I was a young guy in 1999, and and I think you know I was probably listening to a lot of the Goo Goo Dolls, and Beautiful. you know, getting my first my first uh, post Smash Mouth albums <sighs> yeah, uh, onto my discography. So it was probably you know some might think that it was quite a shameful era of of Mark's listening, um, but I was probably also kind of just starting to discover those you know bands like uh, Metallica. Um, I was playing a little bit of guitar you know, in kind of my mid-teenage years and starting to think, oh, there are some guys out here that are really, that are doing something a bit more interesting with their instruments. Um, and I think uh, it wasn't until a few years later that I discovered Opeth, obviously, but um, yeah, I think looking back at what I was listening to in, in 1999, um, I think I just had no idea how big and broad the world of music was that that might be waiting for us. Isn't that interesting? Uh, yeah, so I'm thinking 1999 for me was peak new metal. Mm. Was the, was the Limp Bizkit, Corn, uh, Deftones vibe, um, and I'm thinking that that was sort of the wave coming out of the 90s. There'd been this change from the grunge in the in the early mid 90s, and then and then people didn't want to go back to the sort of glam sound. So that's when that new metal, that uh, that hip hop influence uh, in metal came in. And so thinking that this was running alongside that is, is also quite an interesting thing because there was this, none of this was in the in the years of the popular, I think, and I think that's one of the reasons this was their Opeth's last um, more underground release. Given that Blackwater blew out two thousand and one, blew out the um, the audience, people suddenly were like, "Whoa, these guys are these guys are amazing," and rightly so. I think um, I remember two thousand Opeth toured the United States for the first time. So on the back of this album, and uh, people were like, "These guys are really good." Yeah, <laughs> and and took interest, and then they released Blackwater, which of course is also phenomenal. But sitting back and still life for a moment, I think what also makes this album remarkable is that it is their fourth. So they've had um, three very clear, unique albums prior, being uh, Orchid, Morning Rise, and My Arms Your Hearse, um, and then by the fourth album, which is. I guess a lot of bands are doing by third and fourth album is they went for the concept album, which is always a risk. Mm. Um, there are concept albums which I adore, and there are concept albums which I struggle with uh, where they fit into discography and should I think of it on its own or whatever else. But this is perfect in terms of a um, an album, but in terms of also a concept album, it's I wouldn't say it's the cheeriest album theme wise, but I would certainly say that. Um, that it's it does fit together, doesn't it? Perfectly it perfectly does. The yeah. music and and rereading the lyrics again, it, it there's a reason why each song is so long. It has the different passages because it, it the story changes um, within each song to tell the whole story. I think it's, it's quite a phenomenal um, uh, undertaking. And I believe Mikhail actually wrote the lyrics entirely on his own. Yeah, well, it's, it, it is interesting. I know he eventually named his daughter Melinda, I think, after the, one of the characters in this... Uh, in the album, but yeah. I think thinking about that before we get into the the, the themes that kind of come through the concept and and the lyrics, is that this album is incredible was incredibly ambitious, um, both in its time and even looking back. I mean, Opeth is a phenomenal band. I think you know any discussion of the great 
metal bands of the of the nineties, two thousands, two thousand and tens is you know they're the they're the LeBron James of of the 100%. Of, uh, of of metal during that time and and probably have seven albums that would be you know in discussion for um, the for, for the for the greatest of, of their era. Um, but this, I think, is potentially the most ambitious. And I like the way you've placed that in their history because I think, uh, I know Orchid is an album that you really like, which is a is a an, an early outing. And Mikhail has talked about it, you know, as if it was just sort of for, you know, barely past being teenagers um, recording in a garage, but is, you know, is a, is a fantastic piece of writing in itself. Absolutely. And I think Morning Rise is, is one that I... Is very you know I, I just absolutely adore beautiful album um, and even though it has the, these moments that kind of where the, the mix will go in and out a little bit and like you can tell it's still uh, and there are some songs that are kind of you feel like oh there could have been a bit of editing in, in this but <laughs> it's just like all the creativity is turned up to a hundred yes and we're just if we want if something works like or something is an idea we're going to try it and we're just going to put it in there absolutely and you've got the fretless bass and you know these long acoustic passages and a twenty-one minute long song, and <laughs> and I think um, it's quite something. And then you know they've go to the my arms rehearse after that, which is dark and brooding, and the songs that kind of punch you in the face. And I think this was really the moment in the in the path of Opeth where they where they kind of became who they are as a band. Yeah, and I think this is therefore for me. I think very much they kind of. This is the central sort of defining album. If if a band like Obeth can even have something <laughs> like that, where they discovered this is what our sound is and what we do. Yes. Um. What we do is we write songs that no one else can write. Yep. They're long Absolutely. and thoughtful, intricate. They're lyrical, um, but they're also uh, they they do have those kind of heavy um, upfront moments. And the thing about I think from from all of Opeth's discography, but definitely when you listen to this album, you could hear. You know, you hear a few bars and you immediately know, oh, that's that's Opeth. There's no one else Absolutely. that really sounds like this. How true that is. Th- th- I think that's why you've really you've placed them perfectly in that late 90s to 2010 period. I think the reason why they became so popular is there are bands that have elements of the best of, of both of these worlds that Opeth walk in, the, the death metal um, world and, of course, then the progressive and sort of uh, um, at times jazzy, at times folky influence you've got you've got wonderful bands in those two genres and yet somehow as you say this songwriting four albums in is so mature and so um thoughtful that you that you are caught up in you know the hour-long album and sort of forget where you are at the end of it you're like what that was a that was quite the journey so i guess what we'll do we'll um so again so just to set up where the album is because we've talked a bit about it is of course it was released um in 1999 so it was recorded from the 15th of April to the 29th of May. So a very short recording period, 14, uh, sorry, what am I saying? About just under a month, uh, which is remarkable uh, to think that was the case. Um, and it was remastered in 2008, which is actually not a version I've heard a great deal of. I've listened to it a bit more recently on a few streaming services, but my um, physical release, my CD, is the original uh, 1999 release. Um, and the album cover w- and the artwork was designed by Travis Smith who's notorious for quite a lot of particularly metal bands album covers being very artistic um, I certainly know that off this album um, a number of people have created artworks based on each of the songs which you can actually purchase um, including Travis Smith's front cover which is very 
uh, stark, the red and the black and, and the sort of that image there of, of, of a lady sort of in the centre. Um, this, this is an album cover that just sticks in your brain forever. Abs- yeah. yeah, it does. You're absolutely right. It does stick in the mind. And um, it, it sort of sets up that the idea that it's a concept album. It makes you want to read into the story that you see on the front. Um, it's And so, as we've said, it's the fourth album in the discography. So prior to this, they were on a smaller album uh, label out of Europe. I believe the label was called um, Candle Candle Mark, I think it is. And if I, I'll have to double check that. But then they um, moved their label and as a result uh, I think got m- far more exposure. They made the like uh, made the their way to the US, which I think was quite significant really. Um, again opening them up and leading into Blackwater Park. But Did they I think they toured with Nevermore, maybe. And, and that's yeah. uh, you've nailed it. They've actually they went on tour with uh, with of course the wonderful Nevermore, and I think that would have set them up pretty well because although different in some of their sounds, I think their attitude and their sort of ability to play highly engaging and progressive music, they would have been a, a lovely blend together. Um, and of course, this is the album where we get the wonderful Martin Mendez, um, who is well, I, I I find it hard to think of Opeth without him as their bass player, but this was his initial album. So you had the double Martins on the, the rhythm section in Martin Lopez and Mendez. You had a Mark and I's favourite guitarist, the wonderful Peter. Ah, love him. Who um, is... Why did you let him go, Mikhail? Yeah, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> when you come and have a chat to us, Mikhail, we'll, we'll ask you that very question. Um, but you had Peter as well, and then, of course, uh, all capped together by the, the one and only Mikhail Ackerfeld. And, um, yeah, so I thought what we'd do is we'd sort of... Uh, we'd continue... You, Mark and I will sort of share our thinkings about and our experiences of each of the songs, again, also with Opeth throughout it, but we thought we'd go through the songs themselves. Given that it is a concept album and there's a theme running through it, it would be interesting to talk through some of those themes. Um, and, uh, yeah, and sort of... So let's kick it off with the more. Yeah. Well, I might kick us off, because for me, this is so you know, outrageous statement. This is, for me, the best opener on any Opeth album. And I, s- I like I it. In, I like it. In one of the, uh, I, f- I think I've seen Opeth four times, and the, and each of the shows has been great. The one I, I saw them at the Opera House, which was pretty magisterial. I didn't. But my favorite. Sorry about that, Dave. <laughs> uh, but my favorite. Um, uh, I think my favorite actual performance from them was one night at the Enmore Theatre here in Sydney, and they and they played the more, and it's just a a, a, a spellbinding song for me. Um, and even just the the gumption, I think, to lead into an album uh, with this with this long, slow kind of meandering um, intro that then just bursts into kind of three different movements of of sound. Mm. Um, it's just a it's a great start. And the theme of this song is uh, um, is that the the more introduces the the character of the album, who's this outcast who emerges from the woods. He's been in exile for 15 years. He's been in a castle. It's kind of this medieval um, yes. crusader sort of era character. He's been beaten. He's been banished because he's an atheist. He's called an ungodly freak um, and a defiler in the lyrics. A branded a Jonah with fevered blood. Uh, and he's brutal. returned. Yeah, br- brutal, brutal w- words here from Macau. Um, and he's returned on a quest to find his love, Melinda, whom he had to leave behind. And so this is a song that sort of sets up the character the more and the story that will be about him. Um, and, man, it is an epic. It, it is. I love that you've, you've set up the introduction. Um, to think f- there's no other electronic influences other than, of course, the guitars, the bass, 
in terms of there's no keyboards. And so the, that beautiful opening sound of the Ebo, that instrument that I'd not heard of before I saw, heard about Mikhail using it, that being this, this sort of way of sustaining the ring on the strings and that sort of that swelling sound that sort of captures the start of the song. This idea, as Mark said, of this emergence from the woods. I mean, that's just, you know, this, you're kind of creeping out. You're looking across this sort of uh, foggy... Uh, sort of landscape it's it sets it up just right and then to think there's this this theme running through it of um uh, of of love i mean look, let's face it this is essentially an opera this is essentially mm. a romeo and juliet it's shakespearean in its grandeur and i think uh, we, as again uh, if you're looking at the lyrics and we'll talk a little bit about the lyrics i think later on once we've kind of gone through the music and the themes i think you it, as mark said it's, a, it's an unbelievable opener and it it really is quite ambitious to think that Mikhail, sitting on his sort of in his own headspace, goes, oh, "I'm going to I'm going to create a concept album around a br- basically a Romeo and Juliet story, and it's going to be like listening to an opera. There's going to be the highs, there's going to be the lows, there's going to be the reuniting, and then there's going to be the destruction. <laughs> and the more really breathes in that sort of ten minutes with um, that that opening, and then it comes in strong again. The thing that blows my mind, Mark, and I, uh, when it comes to the guitar, and I won't get too technical here because I I can't. But the album's, I think, essentially all in standard E tuning. I think that's right. I don't think, I, I don't think they. I know in my arms your hearse they go into drop D occasionally, and then um, in later albums occasionally Macau will will experiment in. I think he experiments in some open tunings. Okay. But he's um, yeah. This is just normal six string, and un- you know normally tuned guitar. You know that. You know I think I, I imagine that. Mikhail had been playing since his, since he you know is fourteen, yep. and uh, is just kind of coming up with these these um, riffs and these sounds. And this is, I think, the more is when he first kind of uses that. Um, I, I like to call it kind of the Cossack riff that that Opeth kind of yeah. comes back to. That sort of like um, syncopated up and down galloping rhythm. Uh, it's in um, it's in the Drapery Falls as well. They have it on. Yes. They they Good use example. a similar kind of style, but it has this it feel kind of of taking you to like the Eastern Steps, um, and you know galloping across the plains sort yeah. of sort of sound. Um, but then with a little bit of a twist, um, a dissonance that you always associate with Opeth music. That just it, you never feel a hundred percent comfortable. Yeah, I like that. I, I, and I think the yeah, I think uh, that's the beauty of Macaulay is to think. As someone who poorly plays guitar, uh, standard E tuning, you sort of think you're limited. Um, you know, how can you possibly play such a, a progressive piece of music with such a standard tuning, particularly something in the in the, in the dances in the death metal genre? And yet, as Mark said, the, the, this, there's something some of the some of the r- the actual chords or, or the sort of fingerings don't feel quite right. But geez, Louise, they they carry behind um, what Macaul's doing. And so, thinking about them more again vocally, Macaul. At this point, shines um, his, you hear his clean vocals, but what what blew me away listening to this album, I, I, as Mark mentioned, with uh, my arms being a very dark album, very heavy album. I do think this is Macaul's deepest vocal album in terms of his growl is, I would argue, his lowest, considerably his lowest compared to my arms, and it, and it went from there, of course, until today, where that's not really his thing now. But um, the, I think that really lends itself to that the inner monologue you get in the lyrics and the music as well when he when he really does open that growl up that really really um uh deeper deep sort of death metal growl that he hits and um and yet he can somehow get to those lovely cleans again and he sounds angelic yeah and i think the first 
uh, the, one of the first kind of choruses that we hear, I think it's on in the background at the moment, where he kind of, I think this is, you know, more than any of the previous albums, you really hear him stretching those clean, for it kind of uh, clean and also just really melodic vocal lines. And that's in Godhead's La Men. And what's that song sort of about, Dave? What's that, what's that do? So, thank you. Going on from the theme then of this, this return for his love, Melinda, you get this idea um, of, well, look, do I, do I go in? Am I daring enough to go in to, re, to, to go and find Melinda? Um, and so there's, there's that, in it, that sort of true Romeo and Juliet struggle of, you know, is it worth it? You know, weighing up his concerns. It's something that, you know, I can't relate to, Mark. I mean, no. Um, but uh, then it becomes a little bit... I'm odd. laughing at this because... Dave has like an actual functional life. Settled, yeah. settled, settled <laughs> down. Yeah. But this sounds more like me. I'm watching her from afar. Uh, no, this is his idea that he then comes out of the woods, but he doesn't come in confident. He's, he's, he's wrestling with her, do I, don't I? And this idea that he, um, he looks from afar and then sees that she's now different. This 15 years later, she's now a nun. So she's not only of this sort of seemingly religious sect, is I guess the image that Mikhail's painting here, this, this group of people, and he's left it because he's gone against this faith, He's come back and she's sort of the nun, the, 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 the highest uh, sort of epitome of this sort of faith. And he decides, well, what do I want to do? I mean, she's not, she's not only here, but she's now a nun. And this decision, you know, do I, do I go now? Do I leave? I think a classic problem we've all faced, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, as I'm, re- as I'm thinking about it. I don't it, know about like you, but I hate right. when I come out of the woods after 15 years and the love of my life has become, <laughs> has joined a religious order and dresses all in red. <laughs> yeah, well... I've got nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, it's brilliant. And so, <laughs> we, well, I mean, this is it. I mean, the, the decision, what do I do? I mean, she's now, she's moved on clearly. What do I do? And the interesting thing is that the lyrics sort of imply that um, Melinda has worked out that he's returned. Uh, there is this sense that she can, she well, she senses that he's returned. And so that leaves us with this idea that, okay, He's 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 going to make the decision, and so uh, what I love about this song and uh, musically is he him Mikhail really let rip with his vocals, and particularly in this sort of section of the song. But musically, the the the, the guitar you got this beautiful high section, this sort of harmonized section that really rings over the top of of the low sort of like low end riff, and I think well that's what m- between Mikhail and Peter, this is the magic that we miss in many ways now. Like I'm not having a go at the current lineup, but Peter always sat right with Mc, uh, Mikali in that in that realm of this properly heavy kind of riffage, and then just this sort of melodic melodic um, sort of line that sat beautifully that makes perfect sense. That kind of it just it's it's always so clever. And, and I remember seeing them live. You'd what you could watch either one of them, and their hands were in completely different spots on the neck of the guitar, um, you know, playing up octaves and, and different sort of parts of the key, and yet. They, they, they were both frantic, but somehow it still sounded not too busy and, and right. And they kind of build the song around these two choruses, that the latter one we've got on in, in the background here, and then a guitar line that copies that as well. Yes. And Opeth is not a band that, that necessarily has choruses that repeat um, within songs, but they do have this melody come up um, a couple of times. And But you're right. Basically, unless there's an acoustic guitar playing alone or there's a melodic vocal line, there are... Um, harmonies going on between at least two guitars continuously in this in this song and and for most of this album, 
Um, and I, I agree that's that was really magical about this era of Opeth. There's just these um, thoughtful, um, meandering and surprising um, harmonies between yeah. between the musicians. Uh, and I think um, that leads us now into the third track on the album. So you've come in with the more with the sort of man, I, man I freaking love. Isn't this a yeah. sign of things to come? Yeah. Isn't this just an interesting sign of things to come? Because this track, Benighted, is purely acoustic. It's it's um, it's the quieter song, and it's coming after the more, which is this long, swelling introduction, uh, as Mark beautifully described, the Godhead Lament, which is um, sort of this fairly heavy, but for the most part, uh, with, with McCarstle singing throughout it. But this sort of, here's the image. We've come out of the woods, right? We see the love of our life. She's become a nun. Strike, what do I do? She somehow knows that he's there, okay? And that leads us into this beautiful sort of song, Benighted. Tell us about Benighted, Mark. Yeah, so this is a um, song that goes completely acoustic all, all the way through, um, but in a way that is a bit different than the softer songs that had been put in some of the earlier albums yes, um, by Opeth. It doesn't have so much the prog rock feel as it does a legitimate folk feel. It's a, it's a, it's a part of Mikhail's kind of repertoire and register that yes. that you don't see you haven't really seen yet and you don't really see in a whole song again at least it, it, it yeah. at least for quite a while yeah, for quite a while and um i think it, in, it's a it's one thing about this even before getting to the song is it's just absolutely beautifully recorded yeah. um so dave and i have a have a, a friend who's a um a, a a music nerd on a on a different level so he's a a, a man who's sta- he's a he's a Character in his own right, but different realm of us. Yeah, yeah. but he's a um, studied kind of music at the at the highest level, and generally couldn't stand uh, music like anything that we would listen to as, as being too uh, mainstream and 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 conforming to rules of melody and harmony. But I remember showing him um, Still Life, and while he was not a fan of you know having a, a regular beat, he he thought that the recording, which is a, a large part, he said of of any piece of music was as good as he'd ever heard in terms of um, uh, just the way that the space in between the, the plucking of guitar strings in this song is picked up um, in the way that the drums and the, and the bass sort of slide in um, with um, that lovely soulful electric guitar that, mm. um, that Opeth used on in these kind of softer tracks. I think it's worth mentioning at this point, uh, again, uh, like Peter, who we now don't have in the current lineup. Lopez, the guy, the guy is such a, a a wonderful drummer, and the the thing for me is he's not your cliche death metal drummer. He can go for it. He can do the blast beats. He's got the chops to do that, but his influences coming from the sort of more Latin sound mean that in songs like this, he's unashamed to play with brushes as a drummer. He's unashamed to just do very minimal, um, but just the right amounts there needs to be. I mean, in this song, he essentially doesn't appear, but um, I think going through all the theme of the whole album is he he can he can play with the best of them, but he's he and Mendes. So here we hear him coming in now. It's just this beautiful back pocket, holding it all together, adding to that sort of his loose AF. I think is the way you'd put it. He's just you've summarized it. He just yeah. You yep. just hundred percent. He is. He is when he has that ability. You're exactly right to just play like these these slow kind of um, slightly behind the beat grooves that just you know. They're all feels, yeah. It's yeah. it's. I yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah, totally. And and um, he, 
he's just such a, something to watch as well. I remember looking at Lopez when he'd perform and he had this sort of very, like, he didn't look angry. He just had this sort of calm face as he's producing these ridiculous sort of interesting feels at times or just sitting right deep in the pocket. And Mendez, who you never really see his face, well, you didn't see his face when he had his long hair because his head was always swaying side to side. You just, Mikhail and Peter could be playful and, and move all over their guitars because their the backbone, their, their um, rhythm section was just so remarkably tight. And I think in a song like Benighted where it could just become um, too, too soppy or too, um, too folky that you kind of maybe lose where we are in the album and then it kickstarts again when we go back into Moonlapse Vertigo. Um, there's just the right amount. There's just that right amount. And I think... Um, coming back to your point about the, the recording quality, um, Frederick Nordstrom, who recorded the album, um, who himself is a uh, musician in the band um, Dream Evil, is notoriously famous for his recording of melodic death metal stuff. So he did all the stuff um, like At The Gates, uh, Arch Enemy, big bands DT, Dran- Dark Tranquility, which again, another band that you and I love, In Flames. So we're talking about the biggest of the best of the Swedish um, Swedish death metal influence. But Opeth's in there. And I think that's really important as well because he... Um, he knows his, his death metal, but he also knows his melody. And therefore, we can talk about the beautiful um, the dance between Peter and Mikhail because we can hear it clearly and he's unashamed to say, you know what, we don't just need the blast beats, the chugs. We've got... Um, we've ar- we're we're, we're going to actually highlight that beautiful sort of um, dance between Mikhail and Peter. And so now we're, we move into to Moonlap's Vertigo. So give, give us the story update, Mark. So Benighted, we've, we've had this meeting. Of so he's seen Melinda, there she is, and he tries to. He goes up to her. He obviously he engages her, and he sort of says to her, "Listen, you've got to get out of here. You've been brainwashed." He gives her the you know the spin. Here I am. I've moved on. Here you are. You've moved on. But I need you to get out of here because I love you, and that you've got to go. And so there's this real sort of you know, the line in the sand here in Benighted. I think which is interesting because it is the quietest song. So there's this sort of it's quite an intimate conversation, therefore, so the music matches that intimacy. But then we move into Moonlapse Vertigo, which is less intimate and a bit more of the uh, uh, the village. The people start to know about what's going on. So wh- what have we got there, Mark, with Moonlapse? Well, I think, I mean, if I had to choose a word that defined this song, and it's a, it's a word that comes up a lot in, in Opeth's songwriting, it's, it's tension. Oof, it's this sense that, like, that, that things are, as- are, are askew and that questions need to be answered. And this is, you know, the, the lyrics of this song are kind of about our, our, our outcast, the, the Moor, is hiding in a castle. He knows that uh, his, his enemies, that, they, that, they, that this religious order would kill him if they found him. Um, and he's hiding as he plans his next move. It's his sense that time is running out. He's got to go and find Melinda and, and get away. And he has this, this sense that the, the Council of the Cross, which is kind of this, you know, violent... It's kind of crusadering. Yeah, it sounds really like yeah, marauding. Yeah, medieval order. Yeah, um, know that he's returned, Um, and um, it's a song that I think for me shows the musically shows the mastery that uh, Opeth has at this point in their time of of kind of switching moods from the soft to the loud to the tense to the melodic to the dissonant, and they do it. It doesn't in a way that doesn't sound like I, I think. One criticism people, I think, generally unfairly make of Opeth mm. is that sometimes a few of their songs feel like there's these amazing riffs and Mikhail's just stuck them together. Yeah, right. Um, but this is a, is a song where the, the mood goes up and down just seamlessly 
um, and it really does kind of represent this this person um, in the album who is is at attention of, of what should they do next, kind of being hit by fear and love and hope and dismay, mm. um, and and trying to make decisions out of that. It's as we're listening now. This is Mikhail really going for it in the vocal departments. Lots of sort of it's killing it. Cries yeah. cries out. They can sort of see this this wrestle that he's got. Like he's come on, Melinda. Like come with me. I, I you know. I You've got to be free from this. You've been completely and utterly brainwashed. Come with me. And I think that's why this song picks up the pace cleverly. And yet, again, it cuts back down when he's sort of reasoning with Melinda. So when he's sort of wrestling in his mind, it's up. And yet, as Mark said, it's it's the cleverness of Opeth. And geez, Louise, you're reminded when you listen to this album of how can possibly um, Mikhail come up with such interesting music and, and, and lyrics and yet pull it all off and do it live. I mean, he plays played many of these songs live. But... um. Now, Moonlapse is, um, is, 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 is a really sort of big movement into um, this, again, this intimate relationship in track five. Of, uh, w- so we're getting to the halfway point here. It's a, it's a seven-song album. still goes for over an hour. It is Opeth after all. Of course. So we've, we've sort of hit the... Yeah, the short song is still six minutes long, <laughs> I think. <yeah. laughs> exactly right. Uh, we're, not, we're, not, we're not worried about, uh, yet about making things in a hurry. So... Benida gave us that sort of five-minute break, right, of sort of the tension, and then we get back into we're back into the nine-minute mark, and so um, we move then into the face of Melinda. I think it's interesting again at this point to think about the fact that, um, uh, like Benida, so Benida's this acoustic track, face of Melinda is a ballad, and Mark loves a good ballad. Love it. Yeah, I love the feels, man. Like you just got to. Yeah, I, w- I want all the the soft, you know, the soft, touchy, feely emotions in a song. That's what that's what I'm that's what I'm getting. That's what sets you apart. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's 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 the reason why you and I bond. Yeah. We, we we get we get taken away. Like a riff is good, but some soft acoustic guitar Come and Mikhail like I felt crooning about his love, Melinda. I'm just oh, absolutely loving that. Yeah, you're taken. And so listen. So the thing the thing that leads that I love about Face of Melinda is musically, here we are, Opeth going for it, heavy, punching out the. You know the distortions there, unashamedly a wonderful Opeth song. No death metal vocals. He doesn't he doesn't go for it in that song. So the question then is, why would Mikhail choose not to go for the death metal growls in a follow up song to him being sort of in this frustrating conversation with Melinda, being like, "Come with me, come with me." So we we we're, we're sort of left with the question. Okay, so Mikhail's gone musically for it. Why no growling, Mark? What's the, what's the, what are we getting that from the face of Melinda? That is a uh, it is an interesting question, is it? I mean, if you look at the two kind of softer songs here, Benighted is sort of full of this intimate longing, as you said, yeah. and face of Melinda is really an expression of the of the desire and love that's sort of a, the motivation for this character in the album. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. It, and so it is more upbeat, but it's not a, it's not an angry song. It's not. It's actually got this quite a hard to play sort of nostalgic emotion to it um, like yeah. and and I also think that it I think that because they they made the choice I think exactly as you said to hold back on going to a hundred um, yep. in terms of the intensity um, at the end of this song they go to a they go to kind of this this great sort of you know prog metally sort of mm. riff mm. Um, there's some great guitar work but they don't go into kind of full opeth death metal mode. Um, but that leaves them open for just going absolutely psychotic in the last two songs. 
Yeah, um, and I, and I think um, which which will both extend them in terms of that, like the the mood of the last two songs in this album is so different to the first five, and it's in, and yes. and I think that that choice um, as just songwriters was really was really intentional. And I think that's that's the thing we get two major key key events in the story end pretty abruptly in the last two tracks. So we've sort of it's taken five tracks to really set up the love story, right? We've got the, we've got the the four the four songs. Um, prior to this, lead us up to this. You know, he's just left Woods for goodness' sake. He's just making a decision to to go up to this lady and have a conversation with her, and she's turned the nun. I mean, it's it, look. Let's face it; it's, it's it's all quite amusing, really, in a, in a way. Um, and I, I love. I'm looking at the lyrics now. We haven't talked too much about the lyrics, but I have to dwell on these ones. Face of Melinda. Here's our opening line. Tell me this is not Shakespearean. By the turnstile beckons a damsel fair, the face of Melinda neath blackened hair. I feel like I should be standing on a some sort of castle top. Yeah, man, it's like in his second language as well. And like, yeah, this is this is this is Mikhail. Yeah, like yep, that's right. I can't even be cheesy and 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 Romo in 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 English, and I've been speaking it my whole life. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, we're uh, let's face it. I've never I've never said uh, neath blackened hair in any context. Uh, although you and I <laughs> were neath mops of hair for periods of our lives. That's true. That's true. Um, again, I didn't refer to your. Your hair is I, m- for me. It's slightly less so now, but yeah. Neath <laughs> li- limited hair. I've been looking anyway. But by the turnstile beckons a damsel fair. I mean, beautiful. I mean, come on, Miguel. You you are the modern day Shakespeare, and so looking again through these lyrics here, we get a, like to think he's singing these clean. So so what what's going on in the song? What what's come to the point? So he's he's called her up. He said, "Come on, you've got to come with me." Um, they know I'm here. We've got to go, and so. Let's do it. Face of Melinda. So this is, um, this is quite a, as Mark said, so with the last two tracks, which we'll get to in a moment, sort of turning it right on, the proper opus sound. What is going on here in, uh, in Face of Melinda, Mark? Can you talk us through what, what you uh, have got uh, for us here? So, is it, yeah, so in the music of this song, it's just, it starts off um, with, as we're saying, with this kind of soft, reflective, I love song really, yeah, and it's as close probably to that uh, Opeth ever gets to a love song. I think song, that's true, yeah. Um, which um, has again Don't just the wonderfully recorded acoustic guitar, Can just like your no, sorry, right. <laughs> it's basically when Mikhail Ackerfeld and Barry White <laughs> get together. <laughs> this is the um, Barry with a little White. bit of John Mayer, and ah, yes, yeah, the swagger of John, and uh, it, it actually, you know, this is going to be criminal to our op- like any Opeth fan that listens good. to this, this but is good. but. Um, there is an extent to which the the one the one thing that I'll say that you know Opeth and maybe yeah uh, blues era John Mayer have in common is the ability to just get an amazing sound out of an electric guitar. Can you believe some over of the an acoustic set of guitar? You can't believe some of the sounds. And they just like the pro- the, the production on Peter's electric guitar in this song is just oh. freaking amazing. Oh. Um, You're not wrong, and I think that's the again this is the cleverness of knowing that. In you know again in the in the death metal genre, uh, how dare you bring an acoustic guitar in? How dare you think to bring an acoustic guitar in? Um, I mean, there were some bands dabbling in it, of course, and there are some bands that have, have proudly said it. But it's a band that uses it so clearly to set up to set a mood in a song, uh, and not only that, but almost uh, a bluesy and and a jazzy influence as well. You've got that's again where Lopez and Mendez really um, just hold that back, while while McCall sort of really um, cleans up the 
the electric guitar and just plays quite literally the bluesy the bluesy riffs to as you say to set up the fact that it's a it's a love song to start with, uh, but things don't go quite so well in the love song love, love story sorry which is again like a good Shakespearean play, um, but there's this idea that uh, uh, he that the courting doesn't work something you and I are familiar with Mark the courting fails right she's decided the nun life for Melinda. And then we hit this moment that we're just hearing in the background. Perfectly. Just timed. greatly, nice. well timed. Thank you. Thank just, you. And just that, this uh, lovely kind of three hits leading into a, a, a riff of, again, kind of Opeth's um, ability to kind of, to just create tension out of their, f- out of their four instruments. Um, and it's a tension that seems to kind of just, you know, my this is just my feeling from the music. It's like a, a tension that goes into a sense of decision. Yeah. Um, and That's a good way to describe it, actually. I hadn't thought of it that way. And that um, seems to kind of play through on these uh, riffs that go in um, to the end of the song, as well as kind of the more soaring sort of um, melodies that, that Macau puts over um, over the top with his vocals. This is the kind of song where you can sense like, oh yeah, this guy really did love Deep Purple. <laughs> you know, like he, That's, like yeah. uh, I, I want to put something catchy over some electric guitars. It's just like, it's a pop sensibility, but with a lot of kind of emotion behind yes. it. Yes, and I think that's the cool thing about McCall is he's unashamed when it comes to talking about his influences being poppy at times. He mm. has, he's, you know, whenever you see videos of him or hear him interviewed about his musical influences, he does mention the, the very typical sort of morbid angel, the clear death metal band, but more often than not, he's found some completely obscure 60s uh, jazz or pop band, Swedish, Norwegian, Finnish, Japanese, Korean, and gone, these guys are cool. I like the way that they really think about this harmony. And I think you've, you've nailed it here because at that point in the song, when, when it turns a little bit, we get this idea, and uh, again, the line... I took her by the hand to say, all faith forever has been washed away. So it's like this sort of union that sort of he feels is, has set the, uh, that has said to each other, right, we're here together now. We're, we're moving away from all whatever faith it may be. Um, but the end of the song doesn't sort of have the going off in the sunset, right? You know, the How does it end, Dave? It ends, <laughs> it ends badly. Uh, endlessly gazing in nocturnal prime, she spoke of her vices and broke the rhyme. Carl, you, you are amazing. But if only he'd actually broken the rhyme there, though. If o- see, this yeah. is the irony of the show. It's just an opportunity what going amiss yeah, in lyri- lyricism. I mean, he has. I mean, you can argue the I and the Y. No, you can't. Really. <laughs> but baffled herself with the final line, my promise is made, but my heart is thine. Wowzers. We're left with this um, this sort of grim... Uh, this image. Like he's, he's, he's sort of cried out, Look, I've done everything. I've done everything I possibly can to be here. I've risked everything. And then she goes, well, look, you know, um, sure, um, I've also failed. And actually, I still love you. So hang on, hang on a second. You still love me? Wow, okay. And then we get to Serenity, Pain of Death, which to me, this is the song on the album. This is my, outside of The more, which I think sets us up beautifully, this song has everything I love about an opeth about Opeth, everything I love about them, the, the, all the music, all the vocals, all the passages of music in this song, Serenity, Painted Death, uh, comes in, yeah, and it really sets us up for the last two tracks, which, again, 
decide not to go for short lengths of time. We've got another 20 minutes to go with two songs. Thanks very much. But um, we're straight into it now. We're into, we're into the... Okay, I love you. You love me. Here we are, the Romeo and Juliet moment. Mark, talk us into Serenity, Pain of Death. And Serenity, Pain of Death begins when the Moor finds that Melinda has been taken and hung for her unf- for being unfaithful to this religious order. So that was church. rapid. That was a, <laughs> yeah, a rapid is, descent. You know, th- so <laughs> things have things have not look not going well for our guy, the Moor. <laughs> not, not swimming <laughs> as um, you'd hope for the and or let alone for Melinda. And so. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget Middle Um So consumed by sort of pent up pain and rage, quite under- understandably in the circumstances, he lashes out in a way that is, you know, very. Yeah, this is look that both thematically and musically, we're getting more death metal at this point in the album. We're, we're unashamed, and so. he just goes nuts. And the more starts like brutally killing the soldiers who'd killed Melinda. Um, in an act of, uh, yeah, it's just an act of kind of his absolute aggression. Uh, he assaults and kills every soldier he can before he succumbs to total exhaustion. You know, I hate actually that when you're like, when you're just like, <laughs> you've been killing, you've been killing your mortal enemies all day, and you just absolutely beat. Your body gives up. You, you think, yeah. what pathetic person gives up at this <laughs> point? Couldn't, you know, couldn't find a glass of water, let alone a beer. Um, <laughs> um, but then when he recontrols, um, when he regains control, sorry, of, of his mind, kind of wakes up from his exhaustion. The remainder of the council uh, is there to take him. So it's his enemies grim. are there to, to take him. But the image, the, 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 the lyrics sort of gives it, he goes Hulk. He yeah. loses his mind. He gets, and like, th- this is just another song where the, the lyrics and the point of the story matches the music so wonderfully. It actually makes me wonder a little bit why Opeth didn't go back to the concept album later because they do yeah. suit the music to ideas so well. That's really just, true, actually. Just great kind of choppy... Um, hard-hitting, much more death metal-y sort of riffs in this song, um, as well as that groove. Like, I don't I don't even know what to compare it to, but, like, the especially when you get to kind of the chorus lines, the serenity, pain of death um, in yeah. this song, it's almost like it's almost like Pantera-ish in there's this, a like... Groove, there's a groove vibe There's there. just... There yeah, and I know that's a kind of... Again, it's it's not a perfect comparison, but it's, just, it's like just that... It allows you to... At this stage of the concert, you've you've watched both guitarists. You've you've taken your Lopez. You've taken your Mendes. You, you've you've decided you you may as well just give up in your instrumentation in life because let's face it, you're never going to be able to do what these these four gentlemen are doing. But at this point, you don't care. You're grooving. You're, your head's bopping. You're yeah. not you're not concentrating on the same. You're not looking in the same depth. You're feeling it. Macar's feeling it. Um, you know, you're bopping along, and yet you're s- you're hearing the lyrics of darkness reared its head, tearing within the reeling haze, took control, claiming my flesh, piercing rage. Perfect tantrum. Wow. And then we get this sort of, as Mark said, we get the, the destruction of all the soldiers. So he completely goes postal on everyone. Um, you know, the power listen, of love. Listen to these like just dissonant harmonies um, over the top of the riffs in this as well. Like so Unbelievable. It's really, it really is unique to Opeth, their ability to do this. And it's jagged. It's sort of, uh, uh, there's that, that, there's that, the pulse comes in and you're like, oh, ah, you, you can sort yeah. of feel this sense that there's a, there's a lot of motion and, and rage in there. Uh, so as Mark's rightly said, I think this, this song really goes unashamedly heavy. And I think I love it because in that, and he does bring back his growl, in that, that harmony, the, 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 the high lines you're hearing on the guitar here and this clean section coming up here really drive home uh, this this uh, this this completely sort of <laughs> brutal message that uh, of of loved you know love lost right the the council 
make the decision. You failed as a nun. Gone. So, in comes the moor. Goes postal. Everyone destroyed. Music is sort of taking its moment to get there and then boom, straight into that bit. And then he's faced with the remainders, the council, which is, a, which is obviously um, where we lead into the last track. It's kind of crazy to think this is the last track. White Cluster, which is, you know, very Shakespearean in that it doesn't, or it doesn't end as exactly as we would like once again. And I think you and I are two of the two of the only people, uh, perhaps outside the actual tour for this album, who have gotten to hear this song played live. And I think it's we heard it when we saw Opeth the yes. first time at the Horden. Horden. And we saw Opeth when they were in clearly this odd move mood. Sorry, right before sort of the band changed up its membership quite a lot. Yes. Um, I think it was in the it w- it would have been after the release of um. Oh, what's the one with Bang of the Hounds? The Ghost, Ghost Reveries, Ghost sorry. Reveries. I think yeah, a right. brain explosion here. Uh, right after the Ghost Reveries, and they played a very odd selection of songs, kind of like almost like a it was like a B tracks yes. sort of sort of uh concert and played Serenity Painted Death Live and it was it was yeah, it really made me, I remember at the time, think this is a really unique Opeth song. Yeah. It's um so and White Cluster, sorry, I'm having a, having a moment here. Played White Cluster, and it's really a unique Opeth song. It's it got is a deep cut, though. I don't yeah. feel like, as you've said, it doesn't doesn't get the appearance often, with good reason, <laughs> because I think it, it, it's it's a nutty song to play. Yeah, and given McCall's progression as a musician, which is always a fascinating thing to look at, um, where he is now in 2020, where he was in 1999, and where he where he began in 1990, um, the 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 fact that he when we saw him, so that would have been two thousand and must have been like two thousand six, six maybe? or so. Yeah. So he's seven years after this. He's produced a number of our two or three albums since then. We're then left with the, you know, this idea that will we ever hear still much of still life again? Mm. Um, because you know he's moved on. He's openly talked about certain albums that he doesn't really he's not interested in playing. Morning Rise, for example, he's not at uh, an orchid. He doesn't play a great deal from. So to get to get a, a a lovely deep cut like um, White Cluster was a bit of a treat. Let's face it. So and and, and again, it clocks in at ten o'clock, and it requires McCall doing all that he can do with that 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 incredible vocal range he has. But do, do you kind of get the feeling with White Cluster that you know, this is an album where um, where Opeth are really pushing the their boundaries? They've they've gone. A, it's a really big step from My Arms Your Hearse to yes, this in terms yes, of what is. they're putting together and their song construction and their um, they're so careful with their recording and with their decisions in each song and in yes. how things will flow together. So. And I really, I do feel like when I first listened to this, White Cluster was definitely the hardest song on the album to, for me to get into. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is the the track where they thought, crap, let's just roll the dice and put and and stretch ourselves as much as we can yeah. as sort of songwriters and, and musicians. Um, I know you had a fact that you were telling me about their their uh, uh, practice schedule before this, and listening to White Cluster in particular, I have no idea how they pulled this off. How do you go into a studio twice before releasing this album? How do you have two practice sessions? Two practice sessions. Something like, you know, I mean, I think of a big band like Metallica, and you're watching, you know, they they release a lot of their um, recording of albums, and certainly for Death Magnetic and Hardwired, and you're watching them. You know, over months, sort of. I mean, they've got their own studio, mind you, but they're going in and out 
fairly regularly doing little bits. And, and as you mentioned before, one of the criticisms of McCall at times is that he kind of chops and changes these riffs that I don't know how they work together. And therefore, you know, I, I don't like it kind of attitudes. How do you have two sessions? How do you have two sessions with, the, and it, with a new bass player and you create an album of this depth in terms of sound and in this depth in terms of lyricism and this depth in terms of uh, recording quality? I mean, you've obviously come in and gone, these are the sounds... Frederick, do we want this? Is the sound we would like it to? You know, we really want to emphasize this our guitar duo, but equally, we need the backbone to be pushed just at the right level so they can be creative. Um, I certainly would. I would certainly say, with, for example, again with with Lopez, he has all the chops, but you don't. You're not getting the flamboyance and the drum solos. There are periods where it cuts back to him, um, and you can hear him just do a little fill here and there. But there's no. Um, uh, there's no sort of just nutty blasts that come through and sort of re-pick up, like, pick up the pace. It's all sort of beautifully bound together. And so to think they were like, they sat down twice as a band, a, new, a band with a new player, and and were able to then somehow put together a seven-track masterpiece, it baffles me. It really does. Yeah. It really, really baffles me. Um, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why this album is so incredibly uh, important in our walk as musicians. But let's, shall we get to White Cluster? Yeah, so I, as I was I think, uh, saying, so I think that White Cluster, you know, the, the lyrics of the album at this point is kind of the tragedy at the end of the story, mm. where the more emerges from this dreamlike, exhausted state, uh, he slowly turns to reality. Uh, the counsellors are uh, uh, trying to make him repent, but he uh, is insincere, so he's still uh, um, atheistic in his beliefs. He's led out to the gallows to be hanged. Uh, and in a moment before uh, uh, he dies, he's reflecting and he feels a hand on his shoulder and he looks behind him and sees Belinda standing there ready for him to join her in death. At last they are together. So just classic kind of... Wow. Uh, it's a warm. Yeah. Look, it's just like romance, like Romo songwriting mixed with metal, you know, in this <laughs> Unashamedly. Yeah, unashamedly. Um, it's just you couldn't be you, if you're going to have a love story like it couldn't be more metal than that. Don't don't be shy. Um, and but the music I think in White Cluster is pretty all over the place. It's, it's a busy song. It's a I busy this, this song. This is truly a busy and, well, song. I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean like I've just it's like I really do feel like Michael Ackerfeld is just pushing his ideas here yes. in this like I'm going to try things that are, are going to be different. Uh, and the riffs are sort of winding and they move into one another. Um, it's when you're listening to it for the first couple times, it you know you really have to think about what what's going on in this song. Like, how do I? W- there's no chorus that you're waiting for. Yes. It's just yeah. I'd love to hear the distortion turned off at times. I think about some of the riffs that you hear, and they're sort of they're so bluesy and groovy at times as well. But it, as you've rightly put, this is they let they let they let go. They let go here. They've decided here's the end. Of the, here's the end of the album. We're we're going to have we're going to have all the acoustic. We're going to have all the heavy. We're going to have all the the creative riffs, the moving around the fretboard. There's not going to be sort of just just banging your head riffs here. There's a lot we want to take in. And I think that, again, going with the theme of the story, um, you know, there he is, hung, this sort of lovely Shakespearean bind at the end, the opera, right? Everything else has failed. Somehow, there's Melinda at the end. I think um, that it ends, it ends just right, but also it ends... Not abruptly, but it just ends. It, it sort of doesn't fade out. Uh, you know, mm. sometimes Lopez is, is, is good at that. There's a fade out. But but um, to think in seven songs, we get this sort of Shakespearean-like tragedy, lyrically, 
and we also get the opeth to come. And as I said earlier on, um, I feel like whenever I listen to everything from Blackwater through to the all, all, essentially all the albums, you hear bits of this album. This is sort of the opeth yeah. that you hear. You, don't get me wrong, you hear Orchid, you hear a little bit of Morning Rise, of course, as well, and you do hear certainly. And, and I think for a long period of time, My Arms, I mean, songs like Demon of the Fall made a regular appearance. We've, sort of, we've seen that live a few times. But Still Life is where people in 1999, off, you know, with, with, with the mainstream metal world, sort of looking at this new metal, this sort of simplified sound, you get this Swedish band who starts to rear their head in the, in the, in the world scale, in, in, you know, internationally going, hang on a second, we're going to do some acoustic stuff, we're going to have a good old growl, we're going to throw in some medley riffs, it's not going to be chugga 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 double kick blasts through and through. It's actually going to, it's going to, we're going we're to chop and change. And I think that's what, in seven songs, this album in 2020 still is mesmerizing. Yeah. As an album. Uh, it's not an easy listen given the themes of, and by easy, I mean lyrically, it's not an easy listen. But if you, if your mind knows that it, look, it's, it, it's, it's a, it is like listening to a, operatic tragedy it is like listening to a shakespearean tragedy that's okay it's 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 mccall stretching that conceptual uh, idea and going with it i mean in his life there's certainly no evidence i don't think of him being you know dealing with hangings um, <laughs> as, as you pointed he out he hasn't slayed a squadron of hasn't fanatical postal warrior monks in <laughs> at any point in recent <laughs> times but well as far as we know well look, you know you never quite know in the scandinavian region but uh <laughs> It, but but, in the, but he's, he's named his daughter. Yeah, you know, the sweet man. I mean, you had that out. So yeah, I think seven songs, just on a, just over an hour. You've got an album which really challenged in '99 the, the 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 genre blend of death metal and progressive music. I think um, that's the reason why I think when certainly when it hit the international audience, people were like, "This is remarkable," because I feel the aggression of death metal, but I also feel the the space and the thoughtfulness of the progression, uh, the progressive side of the music, particularly the folk sort of stuff, and that lovely um, innocence of whenever you hear McCall interviewed about music itself, and they're like, oh, McCall, well, you know, how did you come up with this riff? He's just like, I just made it up. I just sort of, he has this sort of, um, I mean, he has a phenomenal mind to be able to create these riffs, but he's not thinking musically necessarily in the same way that um, that other musicians do. He thinks... He obviously just experiments and puts pieces together. I, maybe that's one of the reasons why he gets the criticisms of it doesn't sound quite right. It's like no, no, it's remarkable because he just can hear it all and conceptualize it all in his head. And I think um, that brought with it um, the criticism, of course, but also just the wonder at how can a person who doesn't spend his entire life studying music uh, create two genres together so seamlessly? And particularly at this point, I think ninety nine. Um, He's he's not going with the trend. He's not trying to push into the mainstream with the with the metal. I mean, he could have simplified everything right down and just written really sort of chuggy riffs. Um, he had he had the backbone to do that. I mean, Mendez and Lopez could easily do that if they needed to, but um, no, he chose to go the progressive path, unashamedly with the with the death metal vibe as well. So it's it's a barn burner to me right through this album. And listening to it again over the last couple of weeks, I've been re reminded of why I fell in love with it and why from this point. Um, I was desperate to, to dig right back down in terms of heading back towards Orchid, but also moving forward. And I think when I when we heard it, would it have been around the time of Ghost Reveries, um, possibly a bit more Blackwater as well, and just being like, "There's something magic here." Yeah, and I think I think that it's hard 
this question I'm going to ask you first is a, is a hard one in terms of Opeth particularly because they are a band where you kind of love their albums for different reasons. Yeah. And this one has a, I, I think both of us feel, has a magic to it that is very unique. Yes. Well, for you, where does this fit in terms of the great Opeth albums? Is this, is, is it first? Is it? What a good question. I th- and I think you've, you've, you've nailed it with Opeth in that what you're hearing in 2019 versus what you're hearing in 1990 is starkly different in one way, but also Mikhail has pointed very rightly to it. There's, there's a line through all of it. There is, there's an unashamedly um, clear element of um, progressive music. There's a uh, huge amount of influences and a ridiculous um, uh, ability to to sort of draw you into a story. So that's my roundabout way of coming to the answer. Where does Still Life sit in the discography for me? I think it's probably sentimentally my favourite because it was the first one I really sat in and, and, and really thought about and, and enjoyed. Um, I think, though, that I would listen, in terms of listening to, I would probably listen to Watershed the most. Well, this is really interesting. Which, yeah. is, int- which is interesting, right? Because... Uh, Bec- that because that's if I yeah, so so I I think Watershed is a, is I mean is I think it's an underrated album. Yes, um, and As do I? F- and for me, it is probably the one that draws me the Opeth album that draws me back the most. Yes, I and think I think you and I are the same in that. So I think for me, I, I think like, um, you know, it, it is hard to pick between between albums, and everyone's you know going to be different. But I think for me, this probably is. Is probably number two, and at, at different parts of my life, it's been number two to Morning Rise, and now yes. it's probably number two to Watershed. Um, but that maybe, maybe you know, in its own way, that speaks to its lasting power as a as a piece of composition. This is the Opeth you fell in love with. Yeah, this is the Opeth that you you want. You want the complexity of all the worlds. Done through the beauty of four musicians, and, and I know it's it is cl- cliched, but this is a band that just like basically for twenty five years just consistently put together an album that was always going to be a contender for the, the best piece of music you'd heard in the year. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. And I think again, knowing that the follow up to this is 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 the, is the breakthrough album in Blackwater, and then the following they do that they do the double whammy. You get the Deliverance and Damnation in in oh three. I think knowing that. Damnation, of course, is the the beautiful album with no distortion and no harsh vocals. So there's our benighted link, mm. in a sense there, as well as our um, our uh, face of Melinda uh, link as well. And then you've got the Deliverance side, which is the which is kind of going back to the um, my arms sort of severity and, and the complexity of the music. I mean, you've got you know remarkable things. Again, you're hearing the white cluster, you're hearing the Serenity, Pain of Death stuff there. So you, this is why. As I've said, I, c- I think why I love Still Life so much is it's the opeth that you see continually. Look, uh, uh, you can argue, and I think the majority of people would argue that things, you know, once we get to Sorceress and Pale Communion in Encordia Veratum, the newest one, you uh, people will say they're a different band. I, I think you can argue absolutely in terms of both the way it's recorded and certainly some of the sounds you hear uh, with Mikhail certainly not growling anymore. Uh, in the modern albums, you can't you can't help but hear the progressive influences like you hear from this album. You can't yeah. help but hear it, and you still have that 
amazing sense of being able to hear them and be like, oh, yeah, like that's Opeth. 100%. And, you know, if you, you hear one of those albums and you haven't listened to it, you hear it and you think, oh, I know who this is. 100%. Um, and that is a unique ability in a band. Like a lot of bands change their sound. Um, you, know, you and I are both fans of, uh, of Anathema, who are a band that's Monster you know, sound absolutely transformed, transformed how they sound. But absolutely. Um, o- Opeth has d- does it and and continues who kind of this this core sort of underlying sense of what they're about. Can I ask you the other the other questions I had were what's for you the what for you is the peak moment in this? What's the either the song or the part of a song or a track that just stands out for you? What a good question. And I say uh, we're good at complimenting each other's questions, aren't we? Yeah, we, we love we just, this, is a, this is a what lot of a positive reinforcement, question. which yeah, is what right. we're it's about. Like it's also because we've had a few glasses of wine, so we're just... Yeah. Ease up. <laughs> I, I also, yeah, correct, it does loosen up the questions. Uh, the, the unique part, I actually think there's two unique parts for me on this album. The, the Moore's intro setting up uh, with, with, that, with that, those long swelling notes is, uh, is unique to me because it, it sort of sets up the mist, the the, uh, the image in my head, the, my mind's eye draws throughout this. That it th- throughout this whole story, it's not sunny, it's not yellow, it's not warm, yeah. it's not. There's no um, even even in the good times where where they're together and they they pledge li- their love for each other. You know that something's going to go wrong. <laughs> the, the Shakespearean link. You know something's wrong. So I love that 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 unashamedly sets up that that sort of start. But the surprise for me is from the end of Godhead Lament into Benighted um, as well when you go from that, that really heavy uh, sort of outro of uh, Godhead's Lament into Benighted. I find that that's all that surprised me that, okay, track three, usually usually considered the ballad track if you think about some of the sort of the sort of uh, historically famous sort of albums. You're going for track three is your ballad. It's not a ballad really. It's a, it's a love song and it's, it's going very heavily towards that focus. They're the two parts for me. It's mm. the start of um, the more, and then the the transition from lament into benighted. What about for you? What do you it's find? Going to be a lot of furious agreement here, but I think um, those two for me. I'm going to just throw in another um, two other selections again from the. Uh, I think you know for me probably benighted is the song I've gone back back to it. It it, it hits different moods. Yes, you you listen to it in different parts of your life. You do. Yeah, you do. It's a unique Opeth song. I think it it's. It, it, it could it stands apart from the rest of there just as a it's obviously doing something different it's a soft mm. folky song and it's different to anything they've written but the other two parts are, are not are the first growls in the more when there's just it's just a so well placed and the tension that builds up over those that slow intro it, it's, it's, really not lo- it's not a long intro i mean it's not a short intro no it's not and it's really um it takes quite a while for you to hear mccall mccall's voice at all in in this album and that you know the, there's an ambition in that mm. to begin with yeah, I like th- yeah there is um and the first time that he lets out a growl as, as the guitars kind of open up is just fantastic the other moment that really stands out to me i think is in Godhead's Lament, when the second time they come back into that chorus. Yeah. And so they've played it through um, as a guitar solo, um, and, then he, and then he bursts back in right at the end of the song. It's just this kind of release of, um, of uh, clarity uh, amidst, amidst the song that's kind of got all these different sort of parts and emotions going, and it all suddenly slides together. The, the different um, dissonant parts become completely... Kind of beautifully harmonic, and then his voice sails in. 
Uh, and you, as you listen to it, you already know what's coming because you've heard this melody before. And I just think that's such a well-placed piece of music. To think this is their fourth album and they're to go on to produce many more. Um, this is the, for me, this is the Lion the Sand album. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Loving their three prior, we've talked about that a lot, but knowing that this is sort of where they're like, okay, here we are. This is our lineup. We're going to be like this for a while. Get used to it. Uh, if you're not a fan of the, the lighter side of things, by all means, find yourself the, some more bands in the death metal genre. Equally, if you're not a fan of the growls, do, do yourself a favour, stick around for a few years and we'll give you damnation. Yeah. Uh, and I think, um, to, th- to think that these four musicians, and it is the four, that I think there's, uh, there's just such a chemistry yeah. uh, in this album that sets them up for a number of years following where they began their world domination, um, where this group bound so heavily together they just seem to be in connection with each other this is i think for you and me is the uh, is the opeth lineup isn't it it's this like it's line. not that the others aren't good they they are but this is when we think of opeth we think of these four guys absolutely. and yep. um absolutely and they're um they just fit so well together in in this period of the band um and this i think this album is just it's really hard to pick anything that could be made better from it like I, I know it's, it's an ostentatious thing to say, but it's just a, such a fabulously written and put together piece of, of, of um, creation. Indeed it is. I, I, I totally agree. I, I guess the, my question for you is when would you, what sort of state would you find this easiest to listen to? Oh, in? that's great. When you, what, what are you in? Are you in, a, are you in a reflective mood? Are you feeling melancholy? Or is this sort of an album which um, you'd want to sit quietly with headphones on and listen through or um what's what's the state for you for for oh, still life I, I definitely i mean i think opeth is has always been an autumnal band for me you know it's kind of got this translation as in it's like as in the season of autumn you know Beautiful. it's like it's got that um uh slowing down darkening yes quieting um reflective element yes. to it and so i definitely totally. think um you know, but but I, and I think you know it's a you know it's a, it's an album of a, it's an album that pairs well with a deep red wine. You know, like it's a it's it something that is emotional and um, thoughtful. Yes. It's got some nostalgia to it. Sure uh, does. But I think that it's a you know this is this is you know I'm getting so douchey here. I'm sorry, but Take like it away. <laughs> yeah, Take but I do think like away. you know the emotional palette of this for me is one that is you know they're they're kind of slightly more. Uh, complex emotions that come from it. Is it sad? Yeah, it is kind of a sad album, but not just that. It's 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 more of that kind of um, uh, nostalgia, that search for purpose. Yeah. Um. That that um. That's know, a sort. That's a search a theme, that's for a idea, Yeah, like a, a search for kind of, and in the music as well, a search for um, identity and a, tr- a, a desire to understand. Um, these kind of moments of heroism and uh, and um, finding this brutality that's within you, as well as finding this quietness and and intimacy within you. And so, I think it's probably for me an album you'd listen to um, on a on an or- on an autumn night by yourself, or you'd listen to with a with a good friend in this kind of situation where yes. you are focusing on the music. It, it's not one for the background. You, 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 it, it's hard to listen to individual tracks. Uh, in terms of the theme, uh, certainly, I mean, there are standout tracks that I would love to hear on there. I, I can listen to Serenity to Pain of Death on its own happily. Mm. But 
one of the fact that it's a concept album as opposed to a concept song where there's a whole story in it. You, the whole package makes more sense. Indeed. So, okay, well then, I think we've, I think we've sold, hopefully, to those uh, listening that this is an album worth your time. It is a beautiful album. You, sh- you can access it on all the streaming services. Um, there are physical media, of course, versions of it. But it is, it is a very important album in Opeth's discography, but I think it's an important album in a, in a journey uh, for you and I, looking at going into the more extreme, the harder end of the, the metal world, but also um, exp- hearing hearing a mix in there of something, another uh, influence of the folk and the blues and the uh, the classical sort of influence there that kind of allowed us to go, oh, we're allowed to like that. It's not it's not wrong to find both worlds mel- melding together beautifully. So here's my question for you, to end it off for you, Mark. So what's been your album of the month or your band of the month? Doesn't have to be over oh, this month at the yeah, moment. The oh well, month, this so. is a, a a funny one, and it's completely different to Opeth. Good, um, but I uh, this this year, and I've kind of really been listening to it this month. Have been um, getting into um, the two thousand um, album by D'Angelo, which is Voodoo, which is completely different, both genre and mood wise, to Opeth. Wonderful, um, but just full of groovy groovy drums and you know um kind of wandering soul vocals and it's just a it is an album that you can have you can focus on it entirely or you can have it at the back of a cocktail party beautiful um and in both cases it does its job it's a it's a it it's serves a, the purpose yeah it's and it's a again you know from a similar era of time to this album they're very different but in both cases has uh, lasted and aged very, yep. very well. That's a big one. How about you? What have you been listening to? For me, the last uh, couple of weeks, certainly probably close to the month, uh, this band Jellyfish. And Jellyfish, uh, yeah, unique band. Two albums in their discography, 1990-1993 are their two albums. They appeared in a very unusual time in the musical scope. They were sort of pre-grunge uh, in the alternative stakes. They're a band... Um, that played essentially a, a beautiful combination of the Beatles uh, with um, other other huge influences like Queen and um, others. They sort of uh, they're two albums that I, I find particularly the album Spilt Milk at the moment, ninety three album Spilt Milk. It is it is it's fun. It's uh, it's it's clever and it's and it and the harmonies in it are majestic so that's been my album for or my uh, my oh band for the last out. couple that of weeks w- very much worthwhile well i hope you've enjoyed yourself this is the start hopefully of something more than a uh, a random night of of enjoyment um talking with mark about music is something i've always loved and so the idea of here and now is that we could uh delve into our own paths we can challenge each other through uh this podcast to listen to other things we certainly would like to get some others in yeah as time goes on, we can get people who are silly enough to sit in the same space as us and, and chew the fat. But uh, kicking off with a band that I think Mark and I have uh, have grown together to love um, was made a lot of sense. And we've, we've got different loves uh, on our own musical journeys, but th- this was a huge, huge crossover, uh, one that we both adore to this day. And uh, I felt that was the most logical way to start. So, so good. So, w- well, hopefully you'll hear from us again. And... Um, Hope you enjoyed the inaugural episode of Here and Now. Absolutely. Good night, Dave. Good night, everyone. They had ABBA. I mean, what's, you know, so anyway. <laughs> this yeah. is basically an ABBA album, really. It, no. it, <laughs> it, you know, like, it, you know, in a sense, 
he's on a show. And like, I think that's the cool thing that I, I think I, I, I want to sort of sit on this for a bit longer to think, okay, concept album. You've gone for the, 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 the tragedy, the love mm. of tragedy, right? Cliche to a point, traditionally, you wouldn't see that in the death metal genre. Yeah. Traditionally. You'd have moments, y- you do have broken relationships and um, 